We come to Mark chapter 6, the end of Mark chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read it in just a second. Life is good. Is life good for everybody? There is another in the fire. You just gave me a sermon series idea. How many of you are glad every time you've been in the furnace, Jesus has been there? How many of you are glad for that? He's never left you alone. He didn't just see you. He walks in the furnace with you. That's good. That is God, and that is good, and I'm glad he's there. Life is good. Houston Astros are in first place. College football is beginning to start. What is there to complain about? Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. Here we go. This is going to be challenging this morning. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Verse 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gethsemane and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Will you bow your heads and let's pray about this message this morning. Father, this is a challenging message, uh, but I think it's an encouraging message as well. I pray that the truths in this passage and in this incredible event in the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples, that was uh, specifically just for them. Nobody else got this experience, but they did. I pray that the truths within it that is recorded in your holy scriptures uh, may be evident in the message this morning. Father, I've already been encouraged this morning singing the truths that Jesus is with us in the furnace, in the fire, in the heat, in the waters, in the storm today. He is with us, and Father, we need to hear that on a consistent basis. You never fail us. You never leave us. You never let us down. And so, Father, help us to be a thankful people for that amazing truth. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. As you get older, has many of you noticed that your memory begins to fail? Well, you're not really remembering if it fails or not, are you? Heard about an older couple who uh, were having trouble remembering day-to-day -day events, and so they decided together that they would write down the requests that each other had. So if he requested something, she would write it down to make sure she would do it. Or if she had a request, he would write it down to make sure he would do it. And one evening, they were sitting there watching TV late in the evening, and he asked her, would you get me a cup of ice cream or a bowl of ice cream? And would you put some chocolate syrup on it with some whipped cream and a cherry on top? And then she said, no, no problem. I'll, I'll take care of it. She started heading to the kitchen when he said, wait a minute, shouldn't you write it down? 
She said, well, I'm, I'm heading there right now. I'm going to remember ice cream, chocolate syrup, whipped cream, cherry on top. I'm going to go do it right now. I don't need to write it down. He said, okay. Well, about 45 minutes later, <laughs> she was still in the kitchen. And he was waiting. She comes on out with a plate full of hash browns, bacon, sausage, and scrambled eggs and some orange juice. And she handed him the plate, and he looked down at the plate, and he thought for a moment, and he looked up at her and said, I knew you would forget the toast. <laughs> Alan Jackson, the great theologian, once sang a song called Remember When. Have you heard that song, Remember When, old country song? Uh, I'm, I'm just curious, how many uh, good memories do we have in here? Does anybody remember what happened on November 22nd, 1963? JFK assassination. Does anybody <clears throat> remember the day? You remember where you were. Do we have anybody in here who has the courage to admit it? Bob. Thank you, Bob. Everybody clap for Bob. Thank you for being humble and honest in church. <clears throat> By the looks of it, we have a couple other people who should have remembered that. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. July 20th, 1969. Do you remember that one? Moon landing. We have a historian in here. I'm not going to get anything by it. I'll throw out another one here. What about January 28th, 1986? Space shuttle challenger. Okay, raise your hands if you remember that day. Do you remember where you were? The moment it happened. Maybe you're watching it on TV. January 28th, 1986, the tragedy of the space shuttle challenger. Okay, a lot of hands will go up here. September 11th, 2001. Raise your hand. Do you remember where you were? Amazingly, and this is mind-blowing to all of us, I think all of the seniors in high school this year who graduate this year, and if my math is correct, I don't think any seniors who graduate this year would have been alive on 9-11-2001. She was alive? Were, were you alive, Kate? You were not, but your dad says yes. Do you remember the day she was born? <laughs> I'm kidding. Lawrence said no. Lawrence was saying no. I'm just playing with him there. Do you remember, I mean, there, there, there are certain days you just remember where you were. Do you remember when you were saved? Remember the day? You remember the moment your faith became real? Do you remember the moment you went from darkness to light? Do you remember the moment it clicked? And you put your faith into Jesus Christ. You gave your full devotion to him. Do you remember that? You ought to. Because if you don't, there's a chance it didn't happen. If you don't remember the day where you said yes to Jesus, it's possible you've never said yes to Jesus. There were 3,000 people who could remember the day on the day of Pentecost. There's 3,000 who could point to that day in Acts chapter 2 when they repented and were baptized and they gave their life to Jesus. I bet for the rest of their life, they remembered that day. That was a day they never forgot. That was their remember when day. Do you remember when? Yes, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. I was there. I remember it. Saul remembered his conversion day, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26. He recorded it three times. He remembered that there was a road to Damascus. He remembers an encounter by Jesus. He remembers being blinded. He remembers arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He remembered it. He recounted it three times in the book of Acts. The Philippian jailer and his family, remember in Acts chapter 16, it wasn't the day, it was the night. There was an earthquake, there was singing by Paul and Silas. The chains broke off, 
There was almost a suicide. The jailer almost committed suicide, and Paul said, wait a minute, you're fine, we're still here, and he shared the gospel, and they gave their life to Jesus in the middle of the night, and they didn't wait. They immediately got in the waters of baptism. I bet he remembered that the rest of his life. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, when Philip came upon him, he was reading the book of Isaiah. He couldn't understand it, and here comes Philip. Hey, what does this mean? Well, how can I know unless somebody tells me? He shares the gospel with them. He says, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? If you believe in the name of Jesus, nothing does. And they got out of the chariot. I bet he remembered that day. I remember my day when it clicked. December 2nd, 1990, I remember there was a church. There was a revival meeting. My dad was the preacher. And I remember he shared the gospel. And I I knew the answers intellectually. I could write all about the cross on paper. I could fill in the blanks up to that point. But it was that night, sitting stage left, three rows back. I remember the invitation song, sitting next to my mother. She leaned over, said, are you okay? Because there were tears coming down my eyes. It was that day I remember, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I am lost without Jesus. I want to follow him the rest of my life and give my all to him. And later on that night, we went home late into the night and, and, and that was a Thursday night and Friday and Saturday. My mom and dad sat down with the scriptures. They asked me some questions. And Sunday morning, I remember the morning. I remember the invitation song. I remember confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I remember the baptism. And I remember the burdens being lifted. That was the day my faith became real. You ought to remember that. I'm not talking about a day your grandparents tell you about. I'm not talking about a day that your parents say that you ought to become a Christian. I'm talking about the day where you personally decided, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Just before we go any farther into this passage today, I want you to know that you can know today whether or not you're saved. Amen? You don't have to go to bed tonight wondering. You don't have to question it. You don't have to wonder, if, if life ended today, am I okay Am I going to go to the right place? Am I going to go to God? Am I going to be separated from him forever? You can know today. You don't have to wonder. There's an old song that has been sung by millions of believers. It goes like this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Every true follower of Jesus has a story. They have a day when their faith became real. I think, and this is just my, uh, this is my opinion, I think the most commonly asked question among church people, but it's not asked, it's internalized, People wonder, is my faith real? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I've sat there and wondered, is this, is this real? Did it click? Did it take? <laughs> did, it, you know, did it take? Am I really saved? Can I have confidence? Can I have blessed assurance Jesus is mine? Can I sing that with integrity of heart? Jesus says that there's a lot of people fooled. They think they're saved, but they're not. He says, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I did this in your name. I prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed miracles in your name. But Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, but I was doing this in your name. I was doing this. He said, but yeah, I, I never knew you. There was never a relationship. It's on this night for the disciples. I think it was their remember when night. The night that Jesus walked on water. I believe this is the night everything changed. The night they would never forget. Before we dive into the practical part of this message, I want to do a little Bible study, just a little detour about this passage in Mark chapter 6. There's two Bible study points I want to point out, uh, just, for, just for knowing the passage. I never knew this before this week, so don't think you're behind if you didn't know this, but this Jesus walking on water event, there is not one miracle. There were five miracles in this story. Did you catch all five? There were five. Look at this. Verse 48, Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. How did he see them? He's up on land praying. They're three or four miles out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus, in the middle of the night, there are no street lights or lake lights. There's no lake lights now either. But they, they, he, how does he see him out four miles away at least in the middle of the night straining? Because he's God. He sees us when we're straining. Amen. He sees us when we're hurting. He stands with us in the fire. That's a miracle that he could see him. His eye is on the sparrow. His eyes are on you. Verse 48, secondly, shortly before dawn, he went out to them. What was he doing? He was walking on the lake. That's miracle number two. Critics say, well, maybe he wasn't walking on water. Maybe it was iced over at that time. It was an iced over lake. How often does the Sea of Galilee ice over, you think? That's correct. It doesn't ice over, and it's pretty weird that he would tell his disciples to get into the boat, and they got halfway into the lake on ice. And no problem, Jesus, we'll just penguin our way out there. I don't know. It wasn't iced over. Some say, well, maybe the water was shallow there. Uh, it's 100 feet deep in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Maybe they were close to the shore, and really the disciples couldn't tell they were close to the shore because it was the middle of the night, and Jesus was just walking on the shoreline. That's, that's what was going on, except for Matthew records that they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, three or four miles out. It's an eight-mile-wide lake. Jesus walked on the water. Third miracle, Peter also walked on the water. It wasn't just Jesus, it was Peter. It wasn't Peter's miracle, it was Jesus' miracle through Peter. Fourth miracle, verse 51, then he climbed in the, into the boat with them, and what happened to the storm? What happened to the wind? Boom, died down. Second time he controlled the storm. And then the fifth miracle, this is a little questionable, we don't know what to do with this. It records it in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 21. They were willing to take him into the boat... And immediately, the boat reached the shore. They're in the middle of the lake. The wind's going against him. He gets in the boat, and immediately, where do they end up? The shore. Did they just transport space? It should have said, and it took him another hour and a half to get to the... No, immediately. We don't know what to do with that other than Jesus just transported them to the edge. That's five miracles. The second thing I want to point out about this passage is... Did you notice that Peter's not mentioned in Mark's account? Shouldn't it have said something about Peter walking on water? And who helped Mark write the book of Mark? Peter. 
Later on in Peter's life, he apparently humbled and matured a little bit. And Peter telling Mark, I don't want to be the center of this story because Jesus is the center of this story. And by the way, that is the sign of maturity when Jesus is the center of the story. John also doesn't record Peter walking on water. Only Matthew records Peter walking on water. Strangely, almost every sermon, almost every book, almost every program, almost every event that talks about this, do they talk about Jesus walking on the water or Peter walking on the water? They talk about Peter. The whole thing's about, there's whole entire books about Peter. The point, though, is Jesus walked on the water. Detour over, I want to share three indicators this morning in this passage that helps us to answer the question, how do I know my faith is real? This isn't comprehensive. There's a lot more ways you could know your faith is real, but here's three. Look at verse 45 and 46. Immediately, come off feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, where did Jesus go? Three times in the book of Mark does it tell us that Jesus leaves the crowds and goes to an isolated place to pray. Well, they're leaving the feeding of the 20,000, 25,000, the largest miracle that Jesus ever performed in participation size. Thousands had seen Jesus perform miracles before, but they weren't involved in the miracle. That was the largest miracle in participation that Jesus had ever performed. The crowds, the ministry, the noise, just the noise of all that would have made me tired. Jesus had to be exhausted. He had to be at his wit's end. He had to be worn out. The day is ending. It's almost nighttime. Man, we've been going to bed at 8.30 since school has started. I'm tired. I'm getting old. She's not getting old, but I'm, I'm getting old. And Jesus had to be worn out from all the ministry of the day. And where does he go? He spends time with his dad. Here's what we learn about Jesus. Here's your first indicator that your faith is real. Jesus's exhaustion moved him closer to God, not farther from God. Oh, because when I'm tired, sometimes I move away and not closer. Here's a a little stat for all of us Americans. Most research publications have found that Americans are the most exhausted people on the planet. Are you surprised? How you doing this morning? I'm tired. (laughs) I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. Partly because Americans statistically are also, they also work the most hours out of any other Uh, country in the world. It's either us or South Korea. Different publications have South Korea one and us two. Some of them have us one and South Korea second. We work the most hours, take the fewest amount of vacations, and we're the most exhausted people or South Koreans on the planet. Well, here's here's a thought. Rather than allowing our exhaustive lifestyle to determine our intimacy with God, let's allow our intimacy with God to determine the direction of our lifestyle. I think we're too tired to even hear what I just said. (laughs) Rather than allowing the exhaustion of our lifestyle to determine our intimacy with God, let's do what Jesus did and allow our intimacy with God to determine the direction of our lifestyle. Jesus didn't keep God in the margins. What does that mean? 
Well, God, if I, if I have some margins left over in my finances, then I'll give you some. If I have some margins left over in my energy, then I'll give you some. If I have some margin in my time, then I'll give you some. If I have some margin in my talent, then I'll give you some. Jesus didn't live that way. If I have some left over, then I'll give it to you. He didn't live by marginal faith. He lived by first portion faith, which means the first portion of my finances go to you. The first portion of my time goes to you. The first portion of my energy goes to you. You. you are on the throne of my heart. You are number one in my life. You are the top priority. You aren't marginal. This is first portion. That's real faith. When Jesus got tired, he didn't cut God out. When Jesus needed a break from something, he didn't cut God out. He never cut out prayer. He never cut out time in the word of God. He never cut out church, Matthew chapter four. He never cut out the things of God, the plan of God, the agenda of God. You are not gonna get cut out. His exhaustion led him closer to God, not farther from God. Now, I, I'm gonna say something nobody's gonna like to hear, and I don't like to hear it either. Actually, we're gonna cringe. Preparing this message I was not looking forward to saying this. As a matter of fact, when I got to this point in the message, I actually thought about, I may not say it, but you look like an ornery group of people this morning, so I'm going to say it. Sometimes we hear, well, I'm sorry about what I said to you, or I'm sorry about what I did, or I'm sorry, that wasn't me. I was just tired that day. I was having a bad day. I was having a bad day. I wasn't at my best that day. I, I'm just going through a season. I'm, I'm going through some, it, that's not me. And so I, I apologize. The truth is who you are at your worst is who you really are. When you don't have the energy to put up the facade, you don't have the energy to give it, to, to, to put the mask, who you are at your worst when you're at your lowest level of energy, your lowest level of exhaustion, who you are then, that's who you are. That is who you are. And Jesus, when he's at his tiredest, when he's at his worst, he goes to the Father in prayer. Wow. Nothing gets in the way between him and the Lord. Summary of Luke chapter 9, Jesus asked three different guys, do you want to follow me? The first, first one goes, yeah, I'll, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's going to be uncomfortable. The second one, he said, well, uh, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said, uh, it's, it's going to be inconveniencing to you. Third one said, at least let me say goodbye to my family. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. Nothing got in the way of Jesus' relationship with his Father. That's how you know your faith is real. Look at verse 50 and 51 and 52. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed in, into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. They had not understood about the loaves. I thought this was about Jesus walking on water. No, this is actually about the feeding of the 5,000. Wait a minute. Um, they hadn't understood about the loaves. They were just part of the greatest miracle up to that point in two years of ministry Jesus ever had. They had a spiritual experience. They had a spiritual high. They got the buzz. They got the electricity. Nathan, I was part of the feeding of the 5,000. My faith must be real. No, not necessarily. They missed it. Their hearts were hardened. You can be a part of church. You can be a part of it. Christian concert, you can be part of an amazing conference, you can be a part of a spiritual experience, and you miss the whole thing. You can be a part of a growing church, and you miss the whole thing. 
You can be a part of participating and serving, and you miss the whole thing. You can be a part of feeding 25,000 people and be one of the ushers and miss the whole thing. That's scary. It was never about spiritual experiences or spiritual highs. Have you ever been around someone who just missed the point? You ever been around somebody who just missed the point? Every time there's a joke, they missed the point. I feel like I'm that person. Some people rag on me and tell me a joke, and I just sit there and look at them. I miss the point. I want to teach you some things about missing the point. You guys know what a highlighter is. Here's a Highlighters are meant to be used to make something stand out. But have you met these people who highlight? So if, if you highlight everything, you miss the point. <laughs> I don't know if you ever, it's always women. <clears throat> oh, it's in third grade, fourth grade. They're, they're, look at these colorful highlighters. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <clears throat> miss the point. Secondly, uh, mouthwash. So here, here's the deal. How many hours protection? The marketer missed it. 24-hour protection. How many times to use per day? Are you, get, are you missing it? Jeremy, are you, are you getting this? You don't, you shouldn't have to, 24, okay. Third one. So this restaurant, kindly, serves a veggie burger. But if you're going to serve a veggie burger, <laughs> for another dollar, what can you have? You want bacon on the veggie burger. They missed the point. Last one, and, and, and before you put the picture up, uh, you're, you're going to have trouble seeing it, but do you know the point of a bathroom divider or a stall divider? What's the point? Of, I mean, don't say it out loud. I mean, we, <laughs> what's the point of a bathroom divider? Separate. Nobody wants to know your business. Come on now. Look at this picture. You're going to have to look closely. Can you catch it? Whoever installed that, okay, some of us are missing the point. <laughs> it's one thing to miss the point in the bathroom. Actually, that's kind of a big deal. It's one thing <laughs> to miss the point of a veggie burger. It's another thing to miss Jesus altogether. And to come to church week after week, and it can happen, come to church week after week and find the spiritual high and spiritual experience, and this was amazing, and to miss Jesus, and apparently you can walk with Jesus for two years, and at that point, they had missed him. Years ago, I was done speaking uh, in a church service, and it was customary at this church service that at the end of the service, I would stand down here in the front, and people would come, and maybe they need prayer, maybe they need to make a decision, or they had questions biblically, or they'd just come by and shake your hand, and, and uh, good to see you this morning whatever it may be. But I remember this particular day, um, later on, as everybody was leaving the auditorium, I recognized there was a guy in the back, big cowboy hat, cowboy clothes, big belt buckle, cowboy boots type of guy, you know, tough looking guy, was kind of waiting around. And I thought, he's, he's waiting to talk to me. And sure enough, uh, when everybody else had left the room, he came forward and boy, he was, he was teary-eyed. And he went on to explain that his college-age daughter had left the faith, had gone rogue, had become prodigal, her life totally ignoring Jesus, totally ignoring him, and not going to church anymore, and all those types of things. And he was in tears by the end of it. And he, he asked, what did we do wrong as parents? 
What did we do wrong? And I don't know the answer to that kind of question. I hate it for him. I hated it for him. But he ended up answering the question. He goes, you know, I think I know what it is. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Did you? We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Is that possible? Can you go to church every week and be a part of the events and, and, and hear the message and sing the songs? And it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. It gives you a buzz. But can you grow up in church and miss Jesus? It's happening way too much. And one of the reasons you know your faith is real, it, it, you, you don't point to a spiritual experience. You don't always look for the spiritual high, but you are actually grounded in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Third one, look at verse 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gethsemane and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Now, in your Bible, you could put a mark and draw a line right there. Everything changed between verses 53 and 54. For the worst or the better, this is depending, depending on where you are today in your relationship with Jesus. This is where everything changes. Mark actually doesn't record it. The Gospel of John does. Whenever they got to the shore, the group of people that had been fed, the, the, the 5,000 had been fed, they were there for breakfast now. Smart group of people, right? They wanted to be fed again. And when Jesus got to the shore, he doesn't give them breakfast. What does he give them? He gives them a sermon. And we know it as the Sermon on the Bread, where Jesus says, I have bread that will, you will never hunger again. And then he gets to the end and he says, I am the bread of life. And they all said, wait a minute, you're not going to feed us? You're not going to give us what you want? In other words, is the prosperity gospel not real? If Jesus is on my side, then I'll never have a bad day. If Jesus is on my side, if I name it and claim it, believe it and receive it, is that not the deal? That's... And the second Jesus says, I'm not going to feed you, I'm actually after your heart, one of the most terrifying, saddest verses in our Bible is in John chapter 6, verse 66. It, it, it comes on the cuff of his sermon. This is what it says. From this time, from that time at the end of his sermon, when he said, I'm not going to feed you this morning, enough with all that. Many, everybody say many. And the translation there could be translated most of his disciples, the people who called themselves followers of Jesus, turned back and no longer followed him. If Jesus doesn't give me what I want, then I'm out. And if, I, if, if, if this isn't fixed, if this sickness isn't fixed, then I'm out. And if he doesn't give me my food, then I'm out. And if he didn't perform the miracle, then I'm out. If it doesn't go my way and he's not just a genie in a bottle, then I'm out. And one of the ways you know your faith is real is when things don't go your way and everybody else leaves, you stay. So all the disciples, all those disciples, they leave and then here's what it says in verse 67. Jesus looks at his 12 disciples. And can you hear the sadness in his voice? You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Oh, man. He's asked you that before. You're not going to leave me too, are you? When the rest of your family leaves, are you going to leave? If the church isn't growing, are you going to leave? When everybody else loses their zeal for Jesus, are you going to lose your zeal? 
When everybody else abandons, are you going to abandon? When your kids leave the faith, are you going to follow suit? When your family stops believing, are you going to stop believing? And it was at this point where the disciples, the celebrity status of Jesus takes a dive. And for the first time, man, I'm telling you, Herod wanted to kill him. His own town wanted to kill him, and they tried to stone him. His own family rejected him. The religious leaders were rejecting him. And now most of his disciples turned around. If you're not going to feed us, Jesus, we're out. And he turns around, and he looks to his 12. Are you going to leave too? And this is, for the first time, their faith clicked, and it became real. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And now here it is for the very first time, the disciples confessed. They admitted. We think it's when Jesus says, or Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. That's the first time Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ and the living God. It's not. This was the first time that their faith became real. He says, also Jesus, just so you know, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was on this night, it was on this day, it was the walking on the water when their hearts were no longer hardened and everybody else left. Everybody else says, I'm done. Everybody else says, I need a break. Everybody else cuts God out. If you're not going to give me what you want, but Jesus, we now believe. How do you know you believe? When everybody else leaves, you don't. You stay. So here it is. Here's the words. Point number three. When everyone else walks away, I stay. Will you say that with me? When everyone else walks away, I stay. Now, will you say that as a banner of faith? Say it for yourself. When everyone else walks away, I stay. My family walks away, and I pray that never happens, and I don't believe it will. I'm staying. you all walk away and you leave this church and there's no longer a venture it will not affect my relationship with Jesus I'm staying you won't do that I know you won't do that and if all my friends say you know what Nathan I, there's so many other things in this world that seems more enticing than Jesus I'm not leaving Jesus have you said that yet to him? Have you said that? If everyone else walks away, I stay. How do you know your faith is real? When that's true for you. Everyone wants to know, is my faith real? There's an old song we used to sing in Sunday school. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you sang this growing up. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. How do you know? How will your life show it? I think we gave you three ways this morning. At a previous ministry, as, as we close, at a previous ministry I was at, this was happening actually quite often there, I had a young lady, probably in her mid-30s at the time, or uh, maybe early 30s. You don't want to mix, mess up a lady's age. <laughs> late 20s. You know what, mid-20s. <laughs> she was 20. She was married with kids. She... 
and she came in, and she was part of a prominent family in that church, and everybody knew who she was. She grew up in the church. Her parents were a big part of the church. Everybody knew them. And she came in, and she had the question, Nathan, I don't know if my faith is real. I wonder if I'm saved. I go to bed at night, and I don't know. I think about it. And for years, I had meant to get it right. For years, I had meant to make the decision. And I asked her, well, when, when did you give your life to Christ? I mean, weren't... And she said, well, way back, I was 8, 9, 10 years old. I don't, I remember all my friends were getting baptized, so I got baptized. I knew my parents wanted me to get baptized, so I got baptized. I knew my grandparents who were in that church. They wanted me to do it, so I did it. But there was nothing there. I never surrendered. I never made him Lord. I never submitted my whole life to him. And it's always bothered me. I just did it because all the other kids were doing it. And I wonder. And now I'm a grown woman, and, and, and now it's too late. If I come forward, Nathan, everybody out in the crowd, what, what are they going to think? You mean she's been here all these years and she's not saved? You mean she's not sure out of any of the families in this church, surely? And it will embarrass mom and dad, and what will they think? I don't know, how to, I don't know what to do. And I told her what I would tell anybody, and what I have told a lot of people. If you're going to bed at night wondering... That is no way to live this life. You shouldn't be wondering whether or not you're saved. That's not what you should be wondering, and God doesn't want you to wonder that. You need to get it taken care of. And she said, Nathan, I, and she said these four words, I'm tired of wondering. I don't want to wonder anymore. So I remember when she said, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And by the way, everybody supported you. Don't you know that's what Christian people do? Amen. Everybody supported her. There was no embarrassment. And I remember the day she came. And she got in that water. And man, were there tears. And she went to bed that night with no more questions. She didn't wonder anymore. She wasn't tired anymore. And she knew on that day, my faith is real. What about you? You don't have to wonder anymore. Let's pray.